again. It's good to be with you today. Welcome uh, if you're a, a visitor. We're, we're glad you're here. We are uh, coming to uh, close to the end of a uh, series we called 2020. We started it over two years ago, and uh, we started at, the, at, the, at Genesis, and we've just been looking for the gospel throughout the Word of God. And so uh, today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 10. And uh, but you, you can be open your Bibles, your Bible apps. Uh, so you'll notice uh, there is no bulletin, there's no outline to follow along with, but it will be on our screens this morning. Uh, I want to say a special thanks to everyone who uh, cleared off the parking lot and the sidewalks uh, to be able to, um, for, for us to be able to be here today. Um, so here in Revelation chapter 10, um, we are looking at basically the, the program that God has handed his people to be able to see uh, what the end of time will be like. And so as we mentioned last week, we are now three and a half years in to the seven-year Great Tribulation. And what we've seen over the last couple of chapters, heaven has made preparation, much of the earth has seen desolation, and like something out of a terrifying sci-fi movie, now two demonic armies have been given probation uh, to set in motion the final stages of God's plan to un unleash his wrath upon sin and sinners who have rejected his son, Jesus. What we have seen is John is trying to communicate something that really is indescribable, something that we need to always keep in mind that Satan is under the authority of Jesus Christ the entire time. Satan only has what has been given to him by Jesus. Satan can only do what he is allowed to do by Jesus. And as evil and destructive as Satan and these two armies that were released in chapter 8 are, God will use them for his purposes. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Just like Romans 8, 28 tells us, it's still true at the end of time. So church, this is only part of what makes our God so magnificent. I mean, think about that. He can take the evil in this world and out of this world, and he can, he can take the choices that people make with our free will and use them for his purposes. It speaks volumes of his sovereignty and all-encompassing power and authority. We serve a mighty God. The arrival of the Antichrist started this uh, tribulation period. He came promising peace. It is now that he will break that promise. And as unsettling and depressing the events described here will be, God still has witnesses. In the next two chapters, three testimonies are given by three different groups or beings. And so if you are able, out of respect for the word of God, please stand as we read Revelation 10, 1 through 11. God's word says this. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and, and a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, 
and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Angel, whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Verse 8. The voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. Make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we see this uh, first testimony is from an angel. Now, the word angel used there in verse 1 is the same word that is used to the letter of the letters to the churches in chapter 2 and 3. It's a word that means messenger. Now, recall, I mean, this has been a few weeks ago. Uh, there it referred to the pastors of those churches. But these messengers, this messenger is much different. Let's note how this angel is described. Verse 1 again. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Notice that word mighty. Uh, it, it's a word that means one who has strength of soul to sustain the attack of Satan, strong and therefore exhibiting many excellencies. And so this angel, some, a, a mental note that we can make, this angel is stronger than Satan. It's also described as being clothed with a cloud. Verse 1 again, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. Now, throughout the word of God, a cloud often symbolizes the presence of God. Think back to uh, Exodus 16 and Acts 1 and here in Revelation 1. Basically, this angel is clothed in the presence of God. Next, verse 1 says that a rainbow was on his head. He is crowned with a rainbow. So try to get this mental picture as well as you can of who this angel is. Now, we've seen a rainbow around the throne of God in chapter 4. There it reminded us of his covenant promises that he made with Noah and the earth to never destroy the earth by, by flood again. And church, he has been faithful to that promise. And so here, even in God's wrath, he remembers mercy. The rainbow is a, a reminder of his mercy and his grace. This angel wears a sign of God's faithfulness like a crown on his head. The verse goes on to say that his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, if you've been around long enough in this series here in Revelation, it won't surprise you that there are many 
godly opinions on who this angel is. Now, some people believe it is Jesus, and, and, and here's why. When we put all of these descriptions together, he is mighty. This angel is strong enough to withstand Satan. He is clothed in the presence of God. Like the cloud, Jesus is God with us. He is the presence of God. We think of Psalm 104.3, that he makes the clouds his chariot. And so uh, we know that he has control of the clouds. This angel has a sign of God's faithfulness on his head. Jesus was said to be shining like the sun in Revelation 1.16 and Matthew 17.2 during the transfiguration. And the fact that his feet were like pillars of fire, it speaks of his strong resolve to stand and execute God's plan. This is a conqueror ready to take back his territory. This also matches the description of Jesus in Revelation 1.15. So with that in mind, look, listen to Psalm 2, 6. It says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This messianic psalm, it points us to Jesus. And so if this is here, is him here in Revelation 10 then it will ultimately, Psalm 2 will ultimately be fulfilled in the verses that follow. He is a conqueror, set to take possession of what is rightly his. Only that, look at verse 2 again. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. So if this is Jesus, then the little book could be the same scroll that only he was able to open in chapter 5. The lion being the king of the beast, it paints a picture very well of what Jesus will soon do as king of kings. Some godly people believe that this angel, this messenger is Jesus. Now, those who don't, if they don't think it's Jesus, just another high-ranking angel. They explain these things that I've already mentioned um, like this, look at like number uh, verse verse one there. I saw still another mighty angel. Now that word another it means of the same kind. The, the other one that it is referring to is in chapter five verse two. Now we labeled him possibly as Gabriel, but again again we can't be sure. So could it be that John is seeing such magnificent heavenly beings? and is so limited by his earthly vocabulary that another mighty angel is the best he can come up with to describe what he's seen. It's possible. Uh, could this angel's clothing of clouds and the rainbow on his head be a part of his uniform as one of the highest-ranking angels? It's possible. Could his face be shining like the sun because he's been in the presence of Jesus? That's possible as well. We know in, in Exodus 34, Moses experienced the same thing. So again, as with many things in Revelation, we just kind of have to make a choice as to what we believe some of these things are, and many times, both sides are quite godly. But no matter if this is Jesus or not, this angel has great power, and he is coming 
to take care of God's business. Look at verse 2 once again. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot in the sea and his left foot in the land and cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So for the first time that we can see, John sees something in his vision that he is not allowed to tell about. We aren't given a reason why not, but church, this is a reminder that heaven holds secrets that we probably don't even have the capacity to understand. It confirms Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And it reminds us that our loved ones who knew the Lord and have passed away, they are experiencing at least some of these secrets right now as we speak. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Glories of heaven mysteries of God, the presence of Jesus, it will one day be a reality, a reality that words cannot describe here in Revelation chapter 4. So this angel is described as mighty. He's strong enough to withstand Satan. He's clothed in the presence of God. He has a sign of God's faithfulness on his head. His appearance is as bright as the sun. He stands ready to conquer. Now notice what? He says, verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are in it and the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the soundings of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants, the prophets. As this scene unfolds, we find ourselves in the heavenly courtroom once again, where this angel, who is possibly Jesus, takes the stand and he goes under oath. Whoever it is can swear by no one higher than him who lives forever, who created all things. Whoever it is, can swear by no one higher than Jesus because only Jesus has the authority to follow through with what he says he will do. Remember, John writes circular in his other letters and he does the same thing probably here in Revelation. This seventh trumpet likely corresponds to the seventh seal we saw in chapter 8. The same events from a different perspective. Now in the narration then, there was a, a pause just like we've seen already. So here is the mighty angel's testimony. The delay is over. The delay is over. So what's the delay? Well, it's the delay in Jesus' return. It's over. It's time. We know from, from 2 Peter 3 that there is purpose behind the delay. 
Um, let's pick it up in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise to return, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening and coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will dissolve, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So church, we've, we've been told that this day is coming. Here in Revelation 10, the delay is over. The last trumpet of judgment is ready to sound. The prayers that have been made billions of times by the saints throughout all of time will be answered. The day of the Lord has come. His kingdom is coming now. His will is being done now. Exactly like he said he would do. First testimony is from a mighty angel. His testimony is the delay is over. Notice what's next in the timeline here. John is instructed to eat this little book. It's kind of some, some weird instructions, but let's read it again in verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the, to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take, eat, and I will make your, it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, so for, we see another first here in Revelation. Uh, for the first time, John is instructed to take part in what's going on. I mean, so think about it for a minute. Up until this time, he has just been an observer. And, and this is where all these strange visions can have a practical application for us today. Because John is asked to participate, but even in that, God is still doing all the work. Even as he's asked to participate, he, John is still an observer, participating in what God is doing. And I, I think we can all agree, none of what has taken place here in Revelation has anything to do with John. None of it depends upon John. This is all about Jesus and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And so John is asked to participate, but God is still doing all the work. I uh, opened the daily devotion on version a month, a month and a half ago. and It was in uh, Genesis that day. Maybe you saw it. Um, most of us are probably familiar with Genesis 1. Uh, it gives the account of how God created everything from nothing with just his spoken word in six days. It reminds us that when God says something, it will be so, and it will be good. But think about this. God created humans, Adam and Eve, on the sixth day. 
And just imagine Adam and Eve waking up the morning of the seventh day. They are ready to go. They are ready to get to work. And I can just imagine Adam asking God, okay, God, what are we going to do today? God's reply, we're going to rest. Now, Adam probably thought something like, rest? Rest from what? We just got here. We haven't done anything yet. God's reply, rest. I've done everything. Rest in that. Similarly, here in Revelation, God is doing all the work. John's part is to take in his word, a little book. Rest in his word. It's a reminder for us of our responsibility to make the Word of God a part of our inner person. Don't just see the Word. Don't just know the Word. Allow His Word to penetrate deep within our hearts. And then we can rest in the fact that God is doing all the work. We don't have to. Notice John wasn't forced to take in the book. He had to make that choice. And and the Word that he ate... It was bittersweet. So as the word of God, it was sweet. There was joy in it because it was the word of God. Uh, this word told of God's glory and his final victory. The word told of God's liberation of his people. But the reality of judgment turned sour in John's belly. The reality of people rejecting the word of God made John nauseous. Church, have you ever been sick over sin in your life? Have I ever been sick over sin in my life and the effects of sin on this world? This is where John was. He had a similar experience in Ezekiel 3 with Ezekiel. He ate the scroll. It was sweet in his mouth because it was the word of God, but it turned his belly sour when he realized the rejection that it would receive and what that rejection truly meant for those who rejected it. So many times in our own lives, we receive the word of God with joy. It is sweet. It is rich. But then we become bitter when it comes to apply it and obey it. Growing deeper in our faith, Diving into the Word of God, it will have times of precious sweetness. Church, we have to guard against bitterness in our own hearts towards what it says. You know, if God's Word calls me out on something, it is right. I am wrong. And the sweetness comes when I humble myself and my heart. And I acknowledge that reality and I repent of whatever it is calling me out on. Rather than following my my natural rebellious tendencies. The word of God was sweet to John at first. Then bitterness came because he knew that the people would reject it. Because of the reality of judgment. Verse 11. He said to me, you must prophesy again about about many peoples, nations, tongues. Prophecy that he's talking about will come in chapter 12. 
the meantime, we are left in this interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpets. I want to encourage you to uh, to look ahead to Revelation chapter 11 sometime this week. Hope to move there next week and see if we can make any sense out of it. But as we go into a time of invitation this morning, you just uh, take a moment and just bow your heads right where you are. Just ask God to have his way in your heart. What has God said to you? What do you make of all this strange, these strange things that John's seen here in chapter 10? As I thought through it, for me, it was, you know, I, I never want to get hung up on the stuff that I can't really know. What I, I can know, chapter 10 speaks of God's faithfulness. To do what he says he will do. Chapter 10 speaks of his sovereignty in complete control. What is happening is only happening because he allows it and he has set it into motion. For me, chapter 10 speaks of God's power. He is the one doing all of the work. And that includes in my life as well. And so I can rest in that fact. Chapter 10, it speaks of the importance of God's word and how I need to guard against bitterness in my heart towards it. When it convicts me. Chapter 10 asks me the question. Am I sick over the sin in my life? Am I sick over sin in the world? Because when we're sick, we do something about it. Sickness over our sin should cause us to do something about it. Lord, we invite you to come. For your word, Lord, how even some of the, the things that we can't understand may still apply to our hearts. So, Lord, I ask that you would uh, continue to speak to our hearts even as we leave this place. Lord, that we would uh, strive for lives of holiness wherever we go, not just when we're here at church, wherever we come in contact with. May, may we lift up the name of Jesus. You would draw all men and women and kids yourself. Lord, we, we love you. We thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. Lift up those who are uh, watching online who, who can't make it out. Lord, be, be honored and glorified in everything we do as we leave here.